Our text this morning is from 1 John 5, 6 through 12. You can find this on page 1023, which are, is in the Bibles that should be in front of you uh, in the chairs. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is his testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you've already met me. I'm Pastor Ransom, and um, I handle awkwardness. Okay. Um, so uh, the theme that was coming out of this passage that I was studying this week is the idea that um, when people have needs, we often go to the wrong places. And so I was thinking about that idea, and, and the story of Naaman from the Old Testament came to mind. So let me just relate to you the story of Naaman from 2 Kings. Um, Naaman was a Gentile. He was the commander of the Syrian army, the whole army. And so he was a very powerful guy back then. Syria was kind of the, the, the uh, end-all, be-all of power in that area of the world. Um, but he had an issue, and his issue was leprosy. Leprosy, and leprosy could have been any number of issues either way. Uh, no matter how you cut it, uh, it's not good. Leprosy is not good uh, in this time of the world. And so basically we have this super powerful guy who has an issue that he has no power over at all. Um, and so he realizes that. And so what happens is this in the story <clears throat> Excuse me. Somewhere along the line, they had captured a little Israelite girl and they had made her their servant. And so um, she sees Naaman's issue and she tells uh, Naaman's wife, her mistress, that uh, there is this way for him to be healed. And it's the prophet Elisha. Elisha. And so uh, Naaman's wife comes and tells him, hey, there's a way for you to be healed. This prophet in Israel can do it. And so Naaman does what powerful guys do. He sends a letter to the most powerful guy in Israel. He sends a, a letter and a bunch of treasure to the king of Israel, and the letter basically says, heal me. <laughs> and the king of Israel freaks out because he realizes, I, I can't do this. And this guy who controls all the armies of Israel, uh, excuse me, of Syria, can't. he's going to come and get me if I can't do it. And so Elisha says to the king, chill out, that's in the Hebrew, um, he says, send, send Naaman to me, I'll take care of it. And so here we have in 2 Kings 5, this account. So Naaman, listen to how powerful guy, this powerful guy acts. So Naaman came with horses and chariots 
and stood at the door of Elisha's house. So he didn't just come to see Elisha. He brings his power, right? The show of his power. And you got to love this. Elisha, uh, he, uh, he's at the door of Elisha's house. And so Elisha doesn't even come out. He says, it says Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. It's fascinating. Naaman responds this way. It says, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that you would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and cure the leper. So he has all these powerful guy expectations. He thought that Elisha would come out and, and oh, you are healed. Well, you know, and it didn't happen. And so instead of doing what he was called to do very clearly, go wash in the Jordan River, it says he went away in rage. The story goes on and, and Naaman's servants implore him to do what the prophet says. And eventually he relents and goes and washes. And it says this just a few verses later. So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. Now, this story has a special place in uh, the Miller family, Julie's family. Our niece, who's now an adult, um, was learning the story in Sunday school when she was like five or six, and she drew a picture of Naaman dunking in the river, and she wrote at the top, Naaman duked in the river seven times, which would totally change the story, and it would be very different. Um, <clears throat> so I was thinking about that this week, but he didn't duke, he dunked. <clears throat> and listen, we're like Naaman in so many ways. We're like Naaman in so many ways. We all, every single one of us, have a need that is beyond our ability to meet ourselves. Everybody. Um, now, his was a health need. We tend in our 21st century minds to think that if we eat right and we exercise, we do these right things, we take these medications, we take these supplements, we're going to prolong the health of our body. But many of you in here know that eventually you're going to run into something you just can't do anything about in your body. We all have an even greater need, and that is an eternal need. We all have a need for a Savior, and the bad news is we can personally do nothing about that. We can't do anything about it. Now, we may be like Naaman. We may want to roll up with our treasure and with our chariots and handle this situation head on. And with all of our self-impressiveness, we think that God will stroll out, wave His hand over us and say, you're actually a good person. You're good to go. But that's not what happens. That's not what we're called to do. And the good news is, just like Naaman, even though our expectations are all out of whack, even though we think that we can solve most problems with our resources, and even though we all have an issue that we have that we can't actually solve, we know what we have to do. Naaman knew what he had to do. He had to go dunk in the river seven times. We're called as people in need of a Savior, to call upon the only Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. And it's clear. Scripture tells us exactly what we need. And in this passage, in 1 John, we are clearly told what God is calling us to do. And so we may want to react different ways, and we'll get into that in, a, in this sermon, but here this morning, as John has been talking about sin and forgiveness and confession and truth and love, 
we are told this morning that, that Jesus, yes, He's perfect. He's forgiving. He's the true truth. He's the true love. And very much this morning, there's an objective truth. It's very clear. There's only one way to solve this problem is to let Jesus solve it for us. The problem of our eternal salvation. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into 1 John 5, 6 through 12. Father in heaven, I pray this morning for all of us for humility. We all have Naaman tendencies where we want to solve our problems with the things that we have. We think we're self-sufficient. But I pray this morning that we would park our chariots and stow away our gold and that we would simply be people in need this morning. And I pray that that would be true of us in the name of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, in the name of God the Father, amen. All right. 1 John 5, 6 through 12 gets underway with some weird stuff to us as modern folks. It says here, uh, this is he who came by the water and the blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. I think that's pretty well self-explanatory. No, um, listen, these are weird words. These are weird things. If we're not digging in behind this, we're not really sure what this means. Now, let's. Uh, we have here three things that are very important. They go together, water, blood, and spirit. And what John is doing is he's actually presenting evidence to prove something. And his three pieces of evidence are water, blood, and spirit. So let's go through these one at a time. What is the water? We know what water is, but what is the water here in 1 John? The water, for many uh, who are scholars I was reading this week, uh, some of them say it's the cross. So if you remember the passage where Jesus is stabbed in the side, water and blood flow out. So some people are saying water and blood together. This is uh, just talking about the crucifixion of Christ as one piece of evidence together. Well, I think, um, and many other scholars do as well, that this is also speaking of Jesus's ministry, his baptism. So Jesus had this three-year ministry. It started with a baptism by John the Baptist. And so the, the phrase here, uh, not by the water, uh, but not only by, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The word there is actually through the water. So we can see this as John describing the ministry of Jesus as being proof, part of the proof for who he is. You can see this actually in John's Gospel. As he gets to the end of the Gospel, he writes why he recounted all of these things. I wrote these things that you may believe. And so what did John recount in his Gospel? The miracles of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus. The perfection of Jesus. His dependence upon the Father. All of these things are evidence for who Jesus is. In fact, I'll say this from a historical perspective, you won't find a more reliable account of an ancient person than our four Gospels. Church, they're reliable. They're thorough. They tell us we know this because we don't just hear about this, the glowing things, the things that we would expect about Jesus. We also hear that He was crucified on a Roman cross, which carries with it a lot of shame. We know these things are true. So we have the water, the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
We then get to the blood. I think that obviously has some some meaning here. I, I, obviously, it believes it is his death, his resurrection. But I think if we look at the context of John, it's not just the blood of Jesus at the end of his life. It's also the blood of Jesus at the beginning of his life. What's one of the main issues John is having with this church? Gnosticism. Gnosticism says Jesus did not come in flesh and blood. And so here we have not just Christ's ministry. We see the fact that He came as a baby, as a human. This is evidence for who He is. His death and His resurrection are evidence for who He is. Thirdly, we have the Spirit. The Spirit is the aftermath of Christ's resurrection. In other words, the church, we as individual Christians, we are a testimony to Jesus Christ. What is the modern day miracle? What's the modern day miracle? It's the fact that sinners who are enemies of God, that their hearts are changed and they actually love and follow God. That's a miracle. That doesn't happen by intellect. That happens by heart change. The human heart on its own does not see, accept, or trust without the Spirit. And so our personal belief is a testimony to Christ's identity. Verses 7 and 8 say, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. God has given three major pillars upon which to establish His truth. He's testified to the earthly ministry of Christ. He's testified with and through the earthly ministry of Christ. He's testified to the world through the the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He continues to testify today to the existence and the expansion of His church. We're a testament to who Jesus is. And these three things combine to what? Give us rock-solid testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, He's the Christ, the anointed Savior of His people, and He came to save us. That's what these three things testify to. That's what the first three verses of this passage are getting at. God has given a testimony. And it's a good one. And then verses 9 and 10 go further. This is not just any old testimony. This is the testimony of God. It says in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men... The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony that He has borne concerning His Son. This is past tense. God has already testified, but it goes on in in the perfect tense to indicate it continues. But I want you to see first, before we get into all that, this verse is not setting up a fight between God and man, meaning who should you believe, God or men? No, what this verse is saying is this, it's good when people make a testimony that we believe them. If there's good evidence and a good testimony and all the stuff is there, John's saying, yeah, we believe that. We do believe that. Why? Because that's how it works. We have systems in place for this. It's called the justice system. And what, what he's saying, though, is that we believe humans when, when everything is, when there's multiple credible witnesses, ample evidence, and this is good. It's sound logic. And he's not pitting man against God. He's saying, though, however, God is above man. And so if we are ever willing to believe a human being, if we're ever willing to believe a human's testimony, we most certainly should believe God's testimony. We most certainly should believe God's testimony. 
God has given his testimony. He's attested to what he's saying in multiple ways. That's what this phrase, he has borne. John Stott says it this way, the perfect tense indicates the continuing validity of God's historical testimony to Christ. It is God Himself who testified to His Son in history in the water and the blood, and it is God who testifies to Him today through the Spirit and our hearts. This is the ministry, the life and death, and the church of Jesus Christ. All of those things together. Solid evidence. So if we're willing to believe a human ever, there is enough evidence on the table to believe God about Jesus. Our issue... My voice is struggling this morning. Sorry about that. Our issue is this. We have this whole concept in our culture and it's seeped into our hearts at least a little bit of my truth. My truth. We've all heard this in one way or another. We as people think that there is this version of the truth that we can have that's more true for us than it is for other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talking about the original sin, says this, The original sin was going behind the given Word of God wanting to procure our own knowledge for ourselves. (laughs) This is written in the 1930s, folks. Going behind the given Word of God, trying to get something that's more true for us. So it comes out in these ways for us. Well, I know what the Bible says, but, (laughs) but, The reality is this. We prefer our opinions. We prefer our inklings. We prefer our own gut feelings. And the other reality is this. My truth that I have for myself is little more than my opinion on the facts. That's what it is. My truth is my opinion on the facts. God's truth is greater than man's truth. God's truth is greater than man's truth. And so God is to be believed And church, listen, we don't believe in Jesus as stupid, naive people. We're not stupid and naive. We're not gullible. God Himself has given a three-legged stool, a three-fold testimony to who Jesus is. And we believe it. Because God has spoken it and shown it. John intensifies this whole idea whether we believe God or not in verse 10. He says that if you don't believe God, you're actually calling Him A liar, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son, the past and now testimony of God. To believe the contrary word of man over God's to cross-examine God on these truths about Jesus, it's not just intellectual honesty it's calling god a liar it's more serious than that to say to to the testimony of scripture which god has given us about jesus christ to say yes i'm going to suspend belief until i find more out for myself is to peek behind the testimony of god and say there's got to be something else more here and so it's not really about getting more evidence the evidence is there the question then is are we going to accept it or not and to say to god i need more he's saying water blood spirit i've given it all i've given the evidence whether we accept it or not has 
consequences. We come to verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. God is not cruel. He's kind. God is not uh, mysterious where He must be clear. God is not standoffish. He's accessible. In so much that He says it straight up front, eternal life is found in Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. And here's the evidence. His birth his work on this earth, his death, his resurrection, and now this thing called the church that grows and grows despite the illogic nature of it all. People giving their lives to something else. Jesus Christ, we know for sure, it's an objective truth to every human, is our only hope and our only help. So thinking back to Naaman, what's at stake? Now he of course, had an eternal life as well, and who knows, we don't know anything past him dunking in the river. Uh, who knows what his response to God was in that time? I'm sure it was something positive. But he had so much less at stake than we do. He had sickness, it was a serious one. But our main issue, church, is not our health, not our physical condition, our main issue is where will we spend eternity? It's the main issue. And it's an issue that we can't do enough to find an answer on our own. And the good news is we don't have to. <laughs> we don't have to do anything. All we must do is believe. And so we might be rolling up to the truth this morning thinking, I have the resources I need. But verse 12 says it this way, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's about as clear as it can get. There's nothing we can do other than go to Jesus Christ. So we can wish that there were more information. We certainly can wish that. We can wish that maybe there's this other piece of thing that would really just make it all clear. We can wish that, that uh, maybe our chariots or our gold would count for something. That God would come out and be like, wow, John Tyler, what a dude, man. You're, you're good. You don't need Jesus. You got yourself. Christine's like, no, no amen on that one, right? Maybe we want a truth that affirms us more. Listen, here's the truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is life. That's it. And the only way to have it, to have that thing He offers, is to simply believe. It's not a work. It's actually giving up working. You're saying, I've got nothing. So we flop down on Jesus Christ. And the lovely thing about Advent, the lovely thing about Advent is it guides us right there. There's no better time in the year for us that as Christmas slowly warms in our hearts <laughs> to realize that that is God giving testimony to who Jesus is. As we grow closer to those things that we love, traditions and decorations and gifts and songs, there's something deeper here. God is saying, this is who Jesus is and you need Him. So there's no better time to see the testimony of God, see what He has done and to believe. And for those who believe already, church, there's no better time than now as we approach the Lord's Supper, to renew our confidence 
and what God has called us to. And so we approach the table this morning, the Lord's Supper, as um, the, uh, the hand sanitizer is missing. Can a deacon maybe check that out? Or Will? Or somebody? Um, this here, this Lord's Supper, is the Lord's testimony. We have the water. We have uh, the, the work of Christ. During His ministry, He instituted this supper. It's part of His work. He said, I want you to do this and remember. We have the blood. We have the broken bread and the, the shed blood of Jesus on display through the bread and the wine or the juice. And we have the third leg. We have the third piece of evidence. We are here together to worship we are evidence of what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, who should come? Those who believe in this testimony. Even if it's a, Lord, I believe, help my disbelief kind of belief. Those who believe that what God has done and what He has said is true, we're called to come and participate in the testimony. And so if you believe that you're like Naaman, that you have a need that you cannot meet yourself and that need that you have that you cannot overcome is your sin. And there's only one way to overcome it and it's not washing in a river. It's to believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe those things, you've made that profession, you've been baptized this morning, you're called to come and remind yourself of the evidence and to gain confidence in Christ with your brothers and your sisters. For those who do not believe that, you're peeking behind God's Word and saying there's got to be something else there. It's not the time. It doesn't make sense to come and eat. This is a declaration that this testimony is enough. So this morning, we're going to take just a moment to look at our hearts and let the Lord impress upon us His truth. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing here in just, just a moment. God, our Father, <clears throat> the same God who worked through the likes of Elisha, the same God that cleaned the likes of Naaman, you have seen fit in this time to call us as individuals and as a group to yourself. That is outside our control. Thank you for your spirit that wakes up our hearts. Thank you for your Spirit that shows us God the Son, what Jesus Christ has done, and urges it in our hearts. As it said in the passage, those who have the testimony, the Spirit 
is the testimony. It's in us already. Thank You, Lord, for saving us. I pray this morning that as we participate in this supper with the bread and the juice or the wine, Lord, that it would nourish us in the deepest parts of our hearts and our souls. I pray that it would be a time of reflection. May we live as if Your testimony is true. May we grow in confidence for who Jesus is and along with that, who He says we are. We are sinners saved by grace whom He loved so dearly. He came, He lived, He suffered, He died, He rose again. And even now, He advocates for us as His brothers and sisters before God the Father in heaven. May our souls feel their worth in that testimony. Thank You, Lord, for this sacrament. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.